I get the honor of being able to share in a message with Doug. And we're going to be co-pilots with God. And we're going to lead you on this journey of discovery. And this journey of spiritual transformation. The journey will take us to five different locations. Grace, growth, groups, gifts, and giving or stewardship. And ultimately the goal is spiritual discovery and spiritual transformation. Each destination is unique in its own way, but it's vitally important in regards to moving to the next location. There might be some wrong turns. There may be a few pit stops. But when we arrive and when we get to that place of spiritual transformation, it will be a beautiful sight to see. The first stop on our journey is with this whole idea of grace. And we have discussed grace a few times over the last few months. I'm a big, big grace guy, so I preach about grace quite a bit. I I know Doug has as well. But the thing we're going to learn on our journey is the grace of God is the engine which drives our our car down the road to spiritual transformation. We cannot be transformed if we don't first have grace. So to say that understanding and living in grace is an important aspect is a colossal understatement. It is vitally important to discovering who we're going to be. For those of you who may have forgotten or for those of you who are new or maybe you just have never heard it put this way, grace in its simplest, easiest to remember form is getting something that you do not deserve. That's what grace is. We get something we don't deserve to get. Another way to view it is God's unmerited favor. Right? We get favor without doing anything. That's grace. Think about, this, think about it this way. Grace is forgetting the past. It is forgiving a sin. It is blessing instead of cursing. It is giving instead of receiving. It is staying somewhere instead of leaving when you're frustrated. It is giving us the strength to go. It is telling us yes instead of no. And sometimes it's telling us no instead of yes. Grace is God. There are a couple of things about grace that we must understand to be able to move to the next phase of our our journey and our next phase of spiritual discovery. So I want you to look back in the Bible. I actually don't have it up here, but you can find this story in John. It's a story about a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and if you remember Mary and Martha, Martha served Jesus and Mary just sat at, or, and Mary sat at his feet and Martha got mad at Mary for not doing anything. Well, Lazarus was their brother. So Mary sends word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. The Bible says that Jesus waited a couple extra days before heading to where Lazarus was. He didn't leave right away. He waited a couple days and then left. When Jesus arrives, it is discovered that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So he's really dead. He's not only dead or partly dead, as they talk about in Princess Bride, but he's really fully dead. Jesus goes to the place where Lazarus is buried and asks for the rock to be rolled back from the tomb. Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. I think that Jesus had to be specific or all the dead in the area would have come alive. He had to say, just you, Lazarus, come out. So if you said come out, I think all the dead people would have come out. Lazarus walks out of the tomb. 
This story helps us understand the first thing that we need to know about grace and the first thing we need to know about transformation. Grace cannot be earned. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what did Lazarus do? To, what did he contribute? Nothing, right? Lazarus didn't do anything. Jesus didn't stroll into the tomb and say, Lazarus, if you wiggle your finger, I'll raise you from the dead. Hey, Lazarus, if you really want to be alive, I will make you alive. If you blink your eye, if you moan, if you groan, if you do something, I'll raise you from the dead. No, Jesus walked in, raised him from the dead. Lazarus had nothing to do with it. The same thing can be said about grace. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 tell us this. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. There is nothing any of us can do, nothing I can do, nothing you can do to earn grace from God. Grace is given freely to those who believe in him. You can't read enough. You can't pray enough. You can't love enough. You can't worship enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't study enough to to earn the grace of God. You can't be good enough to earn the grace of God. Right? If I'm just good enough, God will pour his grace out on me. You can't. Grace is a gift. Have you ever had a gift that you did not keep? And we all have, right? For whatever reason, you received something. Maybe you got two or three or eight. If you were just married, you get a lot of the same things. Or maybe, maybe this isn't you. Maybe this is just me. Maybe you just didn't like it. And so what do you do? You return it, right? How useful was that gift after you returned it? After giving it away? It wasn't very useful, was it? A gift is only useful to us if we are willing to accept it. We can't use something that we don't have. This leads us to my second point about grace. Grace must be accepted. Grace must be accepted. Grace will do us absolutely no good if we are not willing to accept it. God is willing to give it but we have to be willing to accept it from him. It is like that gift that goes unopened or that gift that is returned. All of the wonderful things that God's grace offers us are useless if we refuse to accept the gift. So if grace is a gift given by God and it is useless to us if we do not accept it, what exactly does it mean to accept the grace of God? John 1, verses 10 through 13, kind of clears it up this way. This way, He was in the world, and the world was created by him. But the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire, or a husband's decision, but by God. 
To accept the grace of God, you must believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to put it out this simply. We are born sinful. Sin is an abomination to God and something he cannot be in the presence of. God's grace, his unmerited favor, sent Jesus to be born as a human, to live a sinless life, to suffer, to die as a blood sacrifice for our sin, and to rise again to give us power over death. To accept the grace of God is to recognize that I am powerless without him. He pours his grace onto me and into me when I accept the fact that Jesus is the payment for my sin. And I accept that and I allow him to work and move and live in my heart and in my life. It is the grace of God that makes transformation possible and allows it to start. That's why this whole journey starts with grace. Because if you don't have that, you'll never get to the next four destinations. So the question is, and, and this is something I've been mulling over, over for the last few weeks since I knew I was going to be able to preach today, is we talk about grace a lot. But what does grace look like when it actually transforms a person? So I'm going to share this story, and this isn't my story, and this is a story I got from, from Doug, so I thank him for that. A Christian writer shares this story about grace. We'll see if I can get through it. <laughs> One time he was staying in Hawaii. He is from the East Coast, so it was still on East Coast time. And he would wake up at like 3 a.m. every morning, which on the East Coast is what, like 8 or 9 or 10 or something. So he went to this diner, and he was having coffee. It was an all-night diner. While he was sitting there, a group of women came in and sat down next to him. It was pretty apparent their profession. They were prostitutes. And there were about eight or nine of them at this diner. As they were talking, one of them mentioned that it was her birthday the next day. And the other one kind of scoffed, like, what do you want me to do? Have a party for you or something? It was a woman named Agnes. And Agnes said, no, I don't expect that. Nobody has ever had a party for me. They all left. So this Christian writer asked this guy behind the counter, do they come in here every night? The counterman said, yep, they do. So this writer said, well, here's what I would like to do. I'd like to come back tomorrow and I'd like to throw a birthday party for Agnes. So the guy behind the counter smiled and said, okay. He called to his wife and his wife came out of the back room, the writer says, and his wife was all bright and smiley. That's a wonderful idea, she said. Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and nobody ever does anything for her. Look, I said, if it's okay with you, I'll be back here tomorrow morning about 2.30, and I'm going to decorate this place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said the man behind the counter, who he found out his name was Harry. Harry goes, the birthday cake is my thing. I'm going to take care of the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, this writer was back at the diner with crepe paper decorations, and big pieces of cardboard that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. He decorated that diner from one end to the other and had it looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because at 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in this diner. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and a pastor. (laughs) 
<laughs> at 3.30 and 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swings open. And in comes Agnes and her friend. Everybody was ready. The pastor was the MC. When they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! Never had someone... Never had I seen someone so flabbergasted or so stunned. Her mouth fell open. Her legs buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. She was led to sit on one of the stools. We all began to sing happy birthday to her. When we came to the end of our singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. And when the birthday cake with all the candles was carried out, she lost it and cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow them out. If you don't blow them out, I'm going to. <laughs> and after a few seconds, Harry did. Then he handed her the knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes. We all want some cake. Agnes looked at the cake, then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly lifted her head and said, Look, Harry, is it okay with you if I keep the cake for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and said, Sure, it's okay with me. But you knew Harry wanted the cake. If you want to keep the cake, keep it. Take it home if you want to. Can I, she asked. Then looking at me, she said, I just lived down the street a couple of doors. I'll take the cake home and I'll be right back, I promise. She took off, picked up the cake, carried it like it was the Holy Grail, and walked towards the door. We all just stood there motionless. When the door closed, the writer says, there was a stunned silence in the building. Not knowing what else to do, he broke the silence by saying, What do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems strange to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But it just felt like the right thing to do. He prayed for Agnes, prayed for her salvation, prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When he finished the prayer, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those grace-filled moments, the pastor answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Harry waited a moment, then sneered, No, you don't. There's no church like that, because if there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. So who in here would join a church so full of grace that it throws birthday parties prostitutes. Only grace can transform a hairy heart into one that throws parties for prostitutes. Try it out and see what happens. And I think you'll enjoy the next stop. Grace is essential in the journey, but it is not the end-all be-all of our spiritual transformation. 
Grace is only the beginning. Like I said, grace is the engine that starts the car that gets it going down the road. If we got grace and we ended there, we would be in a better position than before, but we wouldn't necessarily be in a different location. And the way to think about that is we all know what first class is, right? You pay extra, and it's a lot extra, actually. You get to sit in first class, and in first class, they treat you right and give you whatever you want. But the people in first class don't go to a different place than the people in economy class. Grace is kind of like first class. Grace betters your position, but grace doesn't put you in a different place than you currently are. You need some other things to do that. Are you where you want to be spiritually? Sitting here right now. Is this where you imagined when you became a Christ follower, is this where you imagined you would be? If you continue doing what you are currently doing today, are you going to be any different spiritually a year from now? And I want you to think about that. Spiritual growth will be the thing that makes you a different person a year, a year from now. Many of you, about 120 of you, which, which I'm so thankful for, came and watched the movie Do You Believe on Thursday. And if you haven't, you need to. And in it, a question arises from one of the characters. If you were put on trial for your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I want you to think about that. If somebody arrested you and said, I'm arresting you for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? The evidence comes from spiritual growth. So we have grace, and from grace we have spiritual growth. So the question I have for you this morning is, what is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is the process of becoming more like Jesus. That's what spiritual growth is. The process of becoming more like Jesus. How easy does that seem? Right? Jesus, who is sinless, who is perfect. The goal of spiritual growth is to get us more like him. That seems like a daunting task. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This is why grace is the first step in the journey and needs to be accepted by each of us. Because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we are given everything we need to grow spiritually. The grace of God will allow us to become more and more like Jesus as we begin to commit more and more of ourselves to the process of growing. Pretty cool, huh? So the more I want to grow, the more the grace of Christ will help me grow. Maybe it's not such a daunting task after all. Every single one of us in this room is responsible for our growth and our health. And I'm just talking physically, right? We do all the things that are necessary to stay healthy. Well, some of us. Some of us more than others. <laughs> we eat when needed. I said when needed, not when we want to. <laughs> we exercise sometimes. We get the right amount of sleep sometimes. Unless you're a parent or a youth pastor. The point is, we do what we have to do to maintain a certain level of health. How come then we don't apply the same rules to our spiritual lives? How come we don't care if we're spiritually healthy or not? 
And if we do care, we don't care nearly as much as we do if we're physically healthy. We will eat when we are hungry, but we will not feed a hungry spirit. We will quench a thirst with water, but we will do nothing to quench the desire for God. We neglect our spiritual growth and our spiritual well-being and then sit and wonder why we are not growing. The first thing we must understand about spiritual growth is that spiritual growth is our own personal responsibility. Like our physical health, we are each personally responsible for our spiritual health. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 through 8. But reject those myths fit only for the godless and gullible, and train yourself for godliness. For physical exercise has some value, but godliness is valuable in every way. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Train yourself for godliness. Did you catch that part of the verse? It is your job to do what is necessary for you to grow spiritually. It is not the pastor's job. It is not your small group leader's job. It is not your neighbor's job. It's not your ministry leader's job. Although each of those play a part. You are responsible for you. If you are not growing, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And changing churches, small groups, or friends will not change that. If I'm not growing, going to a different church is not going to help me grow. Because I'm not going to grow at a different church either. Because I have refused to grow. So if I want to grow, I have to say, you know what? I'm not growing because it's my fault. Because I'm more concerned about Netflix than reading the Bible. And I have to change that. Ooh, (laughs) that one hurt. (laughs) You have to reach a point where you get sick and tired of being sick and tired of not growing spiritually. Each of us must take our role seriously and do the work necessary to grow. As Peter says to Timothy, and he's saying to us, we must train ourselves to be godly. So what can be done to help us grow spiritually? I want to remind you first and foremost that God made each and every one of us differently. And so the things that I do to help me grow spiritually may be different than the things you do. And that's okay. There's not a, a out of the box thing that you can do. You have to really spend time in prayer and, and really seek the Lord as to what is it going to take to help me grow. But these are a few things that are, are time and true and have been proven that they work consistently. The first thing, to grow, we need to eat. And by eating, I mean the Bible. We must get in the habit of being in the word of God every day. There are many resources through version through other outlets. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Bible apps that you can get the Bible on. You can get daily studies on. You can get quiet times. You can get devotionals. There are lots of things that you can do to get your Bible. And I've said this before, and I know Doug has as well, but we cannot be like Christ if we don't know Christ. And if we're not studying Christ, if we're not getting to know him and learning about him, we can't be like him. So we need to grow, we need to eat. The second thing, to grow, we need to breathe. Our breathing is prayer. 
prayer must become a staple of our spiritual life. Prayer is the thing that connects us to God and gives us the strength to do what is necessary to grow. Prayer is also one of the hardest things to do, right? Because we're so busy, it take, we have to carve out time to pray to the Lord. I forget that my whole entire life should be dedicated to prayer. And I can, I can be praying while I'm driving in my car or praying when I'm. But as I tell my teenagers, and I fall in this trap and many of us do, God, I'm going to pray five minutes before bedtime. So then when you lay down in bed, you go to sleep, right? So to grow, we need to breathe. We need to pray. Thirdly, to grow, we need to exercise. And Doug gave a perfect illustration this morning. Exercise for us in the spiritual life is worship. Worship is a way to remind us why we are doing what we are doing. Worship gets the focus off of ourselves and puts it squarely on what it, where it deserves to be, and that's Jesus Christ, the one who is leading our growth plan. I don't think Ryan's in here, but many of us have taken his body pump class, which is pretty much close to the devil <laughs> for the most part. But the thing about the body pump is like if I were just to go in there and do my own thing, body pump would not be effective. I have to follow Ryan. Ryan knows what he's doing. Ryan knows what muscles to target. He knows what to happen. So I have to be able to focus on Ryan. Worship's the same way, right? I have to focus on God to worship and allow him to give to me what I need to be able to worship him and to be able to grow. So worship is our exercise. To grow, we need good hygiene. The good hygiene is confession of sin. And this one is a fun one. It is hard to grow and feel healthy when there are things going on in us. Sin keeps us focused on the sin in our lives and does not allow us to focus on growth. Anytime I sin, I'm always thinking about that sin. Anytime I'm falling to temptation, I'm always thinking about that temptation. To be able to grow properly, we have to remove those things from our lives. By confessing those sins and those temptations, you are removing all the things that keep you bogged down and you are keeping your spirit fresh and clean. And the final thing, to grow, we need family. And the family that we have at the church is called fellowship. Growth happens best when we are in an environment that allows us to feel safe, an environment that allows us to feel supported, and one that allows us to feel loved. I actually was, was researching this because I just kind of wanted to know this, but babies who are abandoned by their families are three to four times more likely to develop anxiety, depression, and aggression than those who grow up in a loving environment. And I think the same thing can be said about our spiritual lives. When we try and grow alone by ourselves, it becomes very, very difficult. But having that family, having that fellowship of people who can just be there with you makes a huge difference. Spiritual growth thrives when you're in a place that supports it, a place that encourages it, and a place that nourishes it. You cannot abandon the church and expect to grow. And that's one that I want to sink in, and that's one that applies to all of us, I think. Because when we're struggling, the first thing we do is pull away from small group, pull away from church. And then we wonder why in three months we don't feel like we've grown any. 
And so you have to fight through that and say, I don't feel like it. I feel like a complete failure, but I'm going to church on Sunday because I'm not letting the devil win this one. Because at church, I have people who will love me and people who will support me. Spiritual growth, guys, is a lifelong process. We will see the finish line of our spiritual growth when we get to see Jesus face to face. Wish I could encourage you more than that, but... (laughs) But there are seasons of great growth and there are seasons of no growth. And there's seasons in between. Some of you may be in a season where you're just absolutely growing beyond what you could possibly have imagined. And that's wonderful. And there are some of you in here who may feel like you're not growing at all and that's okay too. And then there's some of us in here who are anywhere in between that. Stay on the journey and do not stray from the path. Don't get frustrated. Don't get upset. Don't compare your growth with somebody else's growth. Just stay on the path and keep doing what the Lord's asking you to do. The destination, your full spiritual transformation, once you get there, will be absolutely worth the struggle and the process to get there. It's like that really, really long car drive to go see the Grand Canyon. Once you get there, you forget about the car drive because it's absolutely beautiful. You forget about the kids crying and when are we going to be there and she's touching me and she smells bad and you get to the Grand Canyon and that all goes away. Same thing with your spiritual transformation, guys. When you get to the end, you're going to forget about the journey because you're going to see things a little bit differently. Next week, you know, Doug's going to share about groups, gifts, and giving, the final three destinations in our stop. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you so much, Father, for this opportunity this morning. Lord, Lord, it is a humbling experience to be able to bring your word to your people. God, and I want to thank you so much for that. And, and I pray, Lord, that as I was speaking, you replaced my words, which have no effect, no meaning, with your words, which bring power, which bring life, and which bring true transformation. And so, Lord God, I ask that every person in this room first and foremost understands this whole idea of grace and understands that grace is something you're giving to us we know we don't deserve it God we know we can't earn it but you're giving it to us anyway and all that you're asking from me is to accept it and so God if there's somebody in this room right now who hasn't accept that yet but they're close Lord pour into their hearts right now and just help them understand how important grace is and to be where you want us to be like God we got to have your grace And so, Lord, I just lift them up to you, Father God. Also, Lord, we understand that once we have grace, the next process is spiritual growth. And spiritual growth is something that never ends. And so, God, I pray right now that you give each and every single one of us clarity as to what it is and where it is you're growing us, Father God, and what it's going to take for us to grow. Because, Lord, I don't want to look back over the year and say, I have not grown any because you're too good of a God and you're too powerful of a God for that to happen. So God, I need your help. And I know there's people in this room do as well. So Father, we just lay these things before you. We just lift them up, Lord. May my will, I don't want to be done over them, God. I want your will to be done over them. And so Father, we just thank you. We love you. And I just lift each of these people before you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.